Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.03 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the, ooh, it's Wednesday the 13th, January 2021. This is episode 345 of Bitcoin and reminding you, if you like the show, please share it, subscribe to it. I don't know, like it, do all, push all the buttons, reach for all the things, tell all your friends and your family that if they want the daily news from Bitcoin, that this is where they need to be coming to really helps me out. Plus a uh, five-star review on Apple iTunes never hurts, even though. Well, it's Apple. Uh, We find ourselves in this weird situation where we always knew none of these people really liked us. I'm talking about Tim Cook and, you know, all the people behind Google and Facebook. We we knew that they really didn't like us, that they've just been mining us for, for data for years. And they've become increasingly hostile to, like, everybody. Honestly, everybody. But we find ourselves again in this weird situation where we're still leveraging the platforms. You know, what, what is one to do? Honestly, what is one to do? Well, you can migrate to another platform, but then you lose network effect. Um, you can build your own platform, but you will literally have no network effect. <clears throat> so again, the question becomes, what is one to do? At what point... Are you compromising your ethics? And, you know, (laughs) I guess that's the question. At at what point are you compromising ethics when there's nowhere else to go? I mean, I've moved over uh, a fair amount of my attention and time over to Mastodon, but yet I'm still cross-posting from Mastodon to Twitter as much as I possibly can, and I'm still looking at Twitter and interacting there, but I've... Honestly, it means that I split the time that I spent on Twitter to Twitter and Mastodon. And I'm getting, I'm getting, I mean, my favorite, my favorite evil dog, uh, Dieter Bob is, is chewing, nipping at my ankles because of it. Honestly, he's, he's not happy about it. And I get that. But I mean, at one point or another, we got to try, we got to try some other things. We, we got to start experimenting because they're just going to end up shutting us all down. If you're not a screaming, pissed off, <clears throat> I don't know, one of those people that, that sits in the street and screams all damn day and wants everybody to be the exact same gender and wear a fucking unitard that has absolutely no color variation, then yeah, you're if you're that person, you're definitely welcome. But if you have like any degree of, of dissension or anything like that, you assume you're going to get kicked off of uh, these platforms sooner or later. So we need to find some place to go. <clears throat> now that said, um, I have yesterday, I sat down and did a series of video tutorials um, 
for uh, using Mastodon and, and getting your, your shit set up in a way that, you know, makes a fair amount of sense. They're all beginner stuff. It's not, you know, it's not deep uh, simply because I'm, re you know, at, at the end of, I think I did 12 videos and they're like, dude, I mean, they're not long. Come on. We're talking like one and a half to three minutes a piece. Right. And I uploaded them in a string, like, or rather I made a, a Mastodon thread and all 12 of them are in that particular thread. I've pinned it to my Mastodon profile. So if you want to learn how to get multiple columns, how to pin those columns so that they don't go away, um, how, like, what is your local timeline? What is your federated timeline? If you want to know any of that shit, I've got it all in a nice little tight thread. Uh, I cross-posted it to Twitter. You can find that thread on Twitter as well. Um, I haven't pinned it. I will probably try to pin that to my Twitter profile. Um, sometime today, but I felt it was necessary because I was getting a, a lot of questions about, Hey, how did you get this thing up here? Cause I showed a screenshot of my Mastodon layout and I, it just sparked too many questions. So I was like, well, fuck it. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I can screen cap. I got a mic. I, you, I can do it. And it's, it's gotten a fair amount of tractions. People seem to, people seem to really like it. So I apparently did not screw that up completely and totally. So there you go. Um, if you're looking for a place to go, Mastodon is one. There are many others, <clears throat> but uh, I think later on in today's piece, we'll be talking about some Telegram, or uh, not Telegram, WhatsApp chicanery that has come down that is a mirror image of deplatforming. They've changed their terms of service or, or some such. We may or may not get into it. I mean, come on, dude. It's uh, six o'clock in the morning. I'm barely functional and I can't even really add, but I can read. So let's start off today's show with this one. Bitcoin Magazine's Nick Hoffman, world's largest dark net marketplace has been shut down. <clears throat> this was written sometime yesterday. Let's get into it here. Popular dark net marketplace, Dark Market, which hosted an estimated half million users was shut down by German police authorities in a raid conducted over the weekend. Sounds like they had an address that they could go knock on. Announcements from prosecutors in the cities of Koblenz and Oldenburg indicated that the operator of the marketplace was, oh yeah, headquartered somewhere near the border between Germany and Denmark. <clears throat> the marketplace's server was officially turned off yesterday. Quote, police in the northern city of Oldenburg were able to arrest the alleged operator of the suspected world's largest illegal marketplace on the dark net, the dark market, at the weekend. Prosecutors said in a statement, according to Barron's magazine, the illegal marketplace for drugs, SIM cards, stolen and fake credit card data, counterfeit money, and more reportedly ramped up its usage in the past year as many dealers had to take their business online due to the COVID-19 pandemic. With just a few clicks of a button, customers could buy what they pleased from any of the 2,400 plus vendors on the marketplace by paying with the censorship resistant currency, Bitcoin. There was a total of 4,650 BTC and 12,800 of the shitcoin XMR involved in over uh, 320,000 transactions facilitated by the marketplace. According to prosecutors, darknet marketplaces have long been active use cases for Bitcoin. Bitcoin censorship resistant qualities assures that users can rely on it to buy goods on the black market, regardless of third party restrictions or global borders. It should be noted, however, that the use of Bitcoin is pseudonymous and not completely anonymous. Yeah, we know that, but thank you, Nick. We appreciate that. 
But what I mostly appreciate, <clears throat> if you've been listening to the show for, you know, for any length of time, you know that I will insert different words into the news stories as I am reading them. In this particular case, I did not. The sentence actually reads thus. There was a total of 4,650 BTC and 12,800 of the shitcoin XMR involved. He actually spells out shitcoin. Thank you, Bitcoin Magazine and Nick Hoffman for telling it like it is. <clears throat> now, speaking of like it is, never forget that the good madam I'm about to read about in this next story is a convicted felon. ECB's Christine Lagarde says speculative Bitcoin needs regulation. Well, apparently, so do you, Christine, considering that you're convicted. This is uh, Tanzil Akhtar writing January the 13th for Coindesk and says, and this is a bullet point list. I don't even know how this is an article, but whatever. <clears throat> European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde said Bitcoin has facilitated, quote, funny business, end quote and needs to be regulated at a Reuters online event on Wednesday. Point one, Lagarde also described Bitcoin as a speculative asset that has led to some reprehensible activity. Oh my God, I cannot believe it's reprehensible. I mean, it got, I, if only it could be as clean as the dollar, the franc, the pound, the euro, the whatever. Good Jesus. The EU Central Bank said <clears throat> there will be a digital euro, hopefully in no more than five years. Five, five years. The ECB has been looking into the benefits and risks of a euro-based digital currency since the Facebook-backed Diem, formerly Libra Project, was announced. So there you go. Convicted felon Christine Lagarde telling us that we're into the funny business. All right, let's just cut a pause on that for just a sec. On what planet should I listen to a convicted felon? No, I, and I'm not even talking about, let's, let's talk about straight up convicted felon, right? <clears throat> Why is it like the, the guy that, uh, I can't remember his name, junk bond dealer, uh, they did the movie Wolf of Wall Street about him, uh, convicted, thrown into prison for, and, and he was actually thrown into prison, Christine Lagarde, not thrown into prison. She got a, she was just convicted and then she went straight over and was welcomed by the people at the UN at a reception. I mean, literally that day. It was disgusting. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I had a stepdad once, ran a junkyard. No, I, I'm not lying. This is not hyperbole. This is not fiction. This is, I swear to God. <clears throat> he had some of the worst sort of people out at his place, either working for him or wanting to sell him copper that they had stolen I know it gets weird. One of these days I'll tell more stories about it, but, uh, he had a, uh, Caterpillar D five tractor and the fly, not fly wheels, but the drive wheels, which are basically giant gears that the, uh, treads wrap around the, the tracks of a tractor. They wrap around the drive wheels and it looks like a huge, like gear. Well, he, this thing was so old and the tracks had skipped across the gears so often that they were all the teeth and the gears were worn down. So he hires this guy to weld new teeth onto the drive gears because each one of those things costs like $15,000, right? They're huge. I, and plus the shipping. I mean, I, my God. So I go out there, I'm hanging out with the, with the guy just watching him weld because I wanted to kind of figure out what was going on. Stepdad comes up to me and he says, dude, 
I don't want you anywhere around that guy. And I'm like, why? He's just welding. And he's like, yeah, well, he was just released from prison for murder yesterday. I, needless to say, that was pretty much the end of my relationship. I went and did, because I was working at, at my stepdad's yard, so I went and, and did something else. Because I don't want to be around a fucking convicted murderer. I, I, I don't understand why, like, the Wolf of, they made a movie about the Wolf of Wall Street. I guarantee you the guy got paid. He's not going to give up his story for nothing. He wrote a book that was a bestseller. He gets paid to go on circuit and talk about shit in legacy markets. He's a convicted Frickin' felon. Here we have Christine Lagarde is one of the leaders of the free world convicted of funny business. And she's got the balls to sit in a chair and tell me how I suck. These are our world leaders. All right. You always remember that no matter what government official that they are talking to or whatever government official is telling you how to live your life, just assume that they are dirty as shit. Continuing on, Human Rights Foundation provides grants to Spectre. Lot 49, Peter Chihuahua is going to tell us about it from Bitcoin Magazine. He's writing this one sometime yesterday. The Human Rights Foundation, HRF, has announced the latest beneficiaries of its ongoing Bitcoin development fund. Bitcoin developer Ben Kaufman and the team at Global Mesh Labs will each receive grants of $25,000. HRF launched its fund last year, and it has supported privacy and sovereignty-enhancing Bitcoin projects like CoinSwap, JoinInbox, Zeus, Fully Noted, and Package Relay. The latest round of grants was backed by cryptocurrency exchange Gemini and its Gemini Opportunity Fund. Kaufman will be using the grant to improve Spectre Desktop, an interface that makes interacting with Bitcoin Core much more user-friendly, and it does. The project aligns with HRF's focus, 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 focus on sovereignty as it makes it easier to run a full Bitcoin node free of reliance from any third-party services. Quote, Spectre is optimized to allow users to fully harness the power of hardware wallets, air gap devices, and multi-signature setups, and is aimed at expanding the number of Bitcoin full nodes and strengthening Bitcoin's decentralization. <clears throat> ben works on Spectre. Uh, will make it easier than ever for anyone to be their own bank, according to an HRF press release shared with Bitcoin Magazine. The team at Global Mesh Labs, which includes Richard Mayers, Fody Diop, and Will Clark, are working on Lot 9, an Android application that adapts Bitcoin and Lightning Network implementations to serve regions with low and intermittent internet connectivity. Quote, with Lot 9, Richard Richard, Fode, and Will aim to make Bitcoin more usable in mobile-first environments with spotty internet connectivity, unstable currencies, and poor infrastructure, according to the release. HRF is working to raise additional support for the Bitcoin Development Fund and to award grants to several Bitcoin projects per year. Gifts, which are tax-deductible, can be made through hrf.org forward slash dev fund. That is hrf.org forward slash dev fund. And support proposals can be submitted to dev.fund at hrf.org. Dev.fund at hrf.org. So guys over there doing some really good work. Thank you for doing all that stuff. Bill Miller uh, says regulatory pressure may be boosting Bitcoin. Uh, one of the big, oh, hold on, byline here. Uh, Nick Chong is writing this one for btctimes.com. 
And uh, sometime this morning, apparently, one of the biggest concerns shared about Bitcoin is that it is subject to intense regulatory risk. The oft-mentioned criticism is that if governments wanted to, they could prevent exchanges from selling Bitcoin or from allowing individuals to withdraw Bitcoin to their own addresses. Fucking, oh God. Uh, I want to pause there, but I won't. Bill Miller, a Wall Street investor, does not see this as a critical concern. He said in an interview with CNBC on Friday that it's hard for regulators to cut the head off a snake because it's decentralized. Well, that means it's not really a snake now, then. it? Quote, if the U.S. government wanted to put onerous regulations in, users that want Bitcoin would just use overseas exchanges, he added. Now that I will pause. We call that regulatory arbitrage. In a time of being that we can easily collect up the tools for privacy and the ability to send our pirate messages across any border we, we see fit with VPNs and any other number of stuff. Mostly though, VPN. <clears throat> I won't even get in to sending shit through radio. You can do, I mean, if you wanted to, you could send a... Uh, transaction via Morse code there. I mean, and honestly, the more and more people work on stuff like mesh network, a ham radio and how, how to fit that into Bitcoin, uh, satellite stuff, satellite stuff. I, I always kind of worry about because I don't know, you, a government could send up a missile if it's a private satellite and just blow it to pieces and not really give a shit about anything else. But radio, on the other hand, that's a different, that's a different bag of, of, you know, kittens to, to have to hold, right? Radio has been around a long time. It's an analog technology. It's, I believe that it's going to be very important to the future of Bitcoin. I honestly do. I think mesh network, radio technology, getting back to old analog shit. And this is one of the reasons why I look at Bitcoin and sometimes I just see steampunk. I really do. I, I literally see like science, you know, almost it's like science fiction, level, you know, warp capable spaceships that are running on freaking steam and a coal fired boiler. And if you can really do that, and we really can with Bitcoin is just who's going to be working on it. Um, then you got, you got something that's going to be super hard to kill. And while you're the amount of, of investment of time and resources and people and all that shit that you would have to put on this task, to kill Bitcoin across every single country in the world, man, I, you're going to not, then, then we're going to come around the, the edges and we're going to come in behind you because you're going to be looking at something and we're just going to say, well, we can also do this with it. And I, that's why I'm not worried about Bitcoin. I, I'm really, really not. Continuing though, touching on the proposed treasury regulations, Miller speculated the Bitcoin rallying in the face of this news may just be validation that those that hold its seed is more valuable. Duh. Bitcoin is trying to prevent its holders from what is happening in, or pre, wait, Bitcoin is trying to prevent its holders from, quote, what is happening in Venezuela, Argentina, where the government wipes out, wipes you out and takes your money. <clears throat> in quote, Miller's latest comments to CNBC comes shortly after he published an investor letter noting that Bitcoin might be, quote, rat poison, but caveated that by stating that the rat in this scenario could be cash. Oh, he's stealing our meme. Oh, bummer. 
Anyway, Miller is one of many Wall Street investors that have recently begun to tout Bitcoin as a viable investment. He is joined by investors such as Paul Tudor Jones, Stanley Druckenmiller, and Rick Reeder. So the more dominoes that stand, the more dominoes will fall. Thomas M. is going to tell us about value investor Howard Marks and how he has changed his tune on Bitcoin. This is coming out of BTC Times sometime yesterday. Value investor Howard Marks appears to be revisiting the topic of Bitcoin in a memo to clients at alternative investment management firm Oak Tree Capital Management. The company's co-founder wrote about a conversation with the son Andrew Marks that involved a discussion about Bitcoin. Marks described his son as an investor, particularly in growth companies with a focus on the technology sector himself. Marx has gained popularity for his value investing approach, which he lays out as a, quote, quantifying what something is worth intrinsically based primarily on its fundamental cash flow generating capabilities and buying it if its price represents a meaningful discount from that value, end quote. <clears throat> Fundamentally, value investing happens from a place of skepticism, Mark, Marx explains in the document, quote, our default reaction is to be deeply dubious when we hear, quote, this time it's different. <laughs> and we point to a history of speculative manias and financial innovations that left behind significant carnage, end quote. At the same time, an investor requires, quote, deep curiosity, openness to new ideas, and willingness to learn before forming a view, end quote, so as not to miss out on innovation. Uh, innovation often appears absurd in its early days before becoming an obvious development in hindsight. The memo conveys a change in the investor's tone in regards to Bitcoin because in 2018, Marx was quoted saying that Bitcoin, quote, will be shown not to have any substance, end quote, in the long run. Now, he writes that his natural conservatism and pattern regulation around financial innovation and speculative market behavior may have led to his past skepticism. I'm going to pause because it says pattern regulation. I think that what was really said was pattern recognition, okay? Pattern recognition, that's a thing, and you should go look it up and read all about it. Continuing, Marx, who states earlier in the memo that his son, quote, steers the family's upside-oriented investments with great results, uh, writes that Andrew Marx is quite positive on Bitcoin and several others and thankfully owns a meaningful amount for our family, end quote. <laughs> You're, <laughs> catch yourself lucky, pal. Whether Bitcoin is part of the family's aforementioned investments is not clear. Despite the now less dismissive stance towards Bitcoin, Marx has yet ventured down the proverbial rabbit hole. However, as he notes that he finds he is not yet informed enough to form a view on cryptocurrencies yet, in the spirit of open-mindedness, mind he is striving to learn. Ah, you know, that's okay. I'll take that. That actually sounds like a high-quality attitude, honestly. I mean, let, let's think about it for a sec. The guy's not saying things like, this is stupid, but since everybody else seems to be stupid, maybe I'm missing something. That, honestly, that is not technically a, a and I've heard that said, uh, not stupid, not using the word stupid, but I've, I've heard, you know, what I just said, actually said by a couple of different people, uh, some investors and some friends. Um, this, you know, striving to educate oneself on something that they used to think was just dumb, honestly, is one of the, I believe is sort of a, the highest form of praise for the thing that they thought was dumb. 
because at this point he's actually going to have to apply time, talent, uh, probably a little bit of treasure insofar that, you know, buying a few books, but you know, it's the time part that's really interesting because this is a guy that could be going and making billions of dollars doing what he always does. And yet here he is going, well, what is this thing? So every time I hear about something like that, <clears throat> I get bullish. But not as bullish as this one out of Pakistan, because Pakistan is now using government funds to mine Bitcoin. <laughs> Who'd have thunk, right? Decrypt.co's Shara Malwa writing this one this morning and says, The government of Khyber, one of Pakistan's four provinces, announced the launch of two state-owned Bitcoin mining farms last week, as per a report on local outlet Bull News. <clears throat> the move marked one of the first inst instances of a government using its own funds to mine and make profit from Bitcoin. Zula Bengish, the advisor to the chief minister of KP, that's the name of the province, <clears throat> they don't want to write it out because it's a massive name, on information technology said a legislative bill <clears throat> that supported such operations was passed in the province's assembly. A separate no objection certificate was also passed allowing individuals to launch and issue their own cryptocurrencies without fear of legal backlash. Pakistan's stance towards Bitcoin has been similar to that of other countries. The sector remains stuck in bureaucracy. Everything's stuck in bureaucracy, pal. But local governments and individuals have slowly pushed for regulation <clears throat> that can help the state's coffers. One that helps with the broader acceptance of digital currencies. The KP administration has led efforts in that regard. Its naturally cool, mountainous environment favors Bitcoin mining, machines that conduct thousands of calculations. Uh, guesses, guys. You spelled guesses wrong. All it's doing is making a guess, okay? So machines that conduct thousands of guesses each second to maintain the Bitcoin net network, using a lot of energy in the process, which in turn helps the local economy. Last year, officials from the KP Assembly, led by Bangish, also passed a resolution to Pakistan's central government that called for legalizing Bitcoin mining and owning and, and ownership across the country. Quote, we appeal the central government to carefully consider our proposal for legalizing cryptocurrency, the resolution said at the time. Meanwhile, the development came as one of the country's first privately owned mining farms was launched by Wakwar Zakwa, a self-styled crypto influencer known in the country for his work in the sector on Monday. Quote, after years of struggle, I am launching the biggest crypto mining farm in KPK where you all can invest and earn, Zaka claimed in a tweet thanking Bangesh for the legal support. Turning to Bitcoin mining as a source of income and economic growth is not wholly unprecedented. Last year, Iran's central government <clears throat> said it would purchase Bitcoin from miners in the country to fund imports and facilitate trade. All right. So now we got another one falling. Um, I think I said yesterday that I was always looking at uh, Africa and Central or Latin America as my go-to places to look for adoption and how these people are going to be using it functionally without a really good banking infrastructure. Well, the Middle East, the Baltics, and Eastern Europe are also now on my list. So what do I got? I got the Middle East. I got Africa. I got uh, <clears throat> the Baltics. I got Eastern Europe, and I got uh, Latin America. So I got I got five major regions of the world that are quote unquote not the West, but also 
not all of them are third world. Some of them are first world. And I think that's going to be a, a really good binding mix going forward in the future. Now, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, because it's got to be the future. The market's not yet open. Oil up again, which is, wow. Okay, so 0.39% to the upside. $53.42 going to buy you a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Brent is up a quarter. Natural gas up 0.87%. Gold rallying all the way up to 1854 representing a half a percent change to the upside. Oh my God, that's just sad. Silver is up scant. Platinum up almost a point. Copper up a quarter, palladium up a point, and, uh, or, well, 1.13 points. Uh, let's see, index futures, oh, we're all going to get dead. Oh, Dow futures down 0.18%. S&P futures down a quarter of a percent. NASDAQ futures down uh, a fifth of a percent, and S&P mini is down 0.38 of a percent. Now, enough of legacy fake fiat crap. Bitcoin is at 34347 so we seem to be bouncing around this area for now. Hey, honestly, that's fine by me. I'm serious. That's totally fine by me, man. That looks like that's going to be the high price. I've got a low. Where's my low going to be? Uh, who's got my low? Who's got my low? Coinbase Pro's got my low at $34,139.32. <clears throat> <clears throat> 311,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. That gives us 13,000 transactions on average every hour. Again, sub 1 million BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. We have 6, 676,000 uh, BTC being sent in that period. Now, I said this yesterday. I'm looking at what I was reporting on before I went to Christmas and comparing it with what I'm looking at now, and I see liquidity problems, which is fine. The more liquidity problems you have, the higher price that you're going to have to give to pry Bitcoin out of somebody's cold, dead fingers if they are a rock-hard diamond uh, hodler like they should be. So that means that 28,200 BTC are being sent on average every hour. We have an average transaction value of 2.17 BTC and a median transaction value dove way down 0 0.028 BTC to $1,952. Block times are still a little bit low, 9 minutes and 48 seconds, so we're not too far off the mark. Uh, we have one BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and, uh, oh God, almost 150 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with even after a five and a quarter percent dip in the hash rate, we are still at 151 exa hashes per second. Wow. That's not bad, man. That's not bad at all. So, uh, what's Dogecoin doing? Dogecoin still losing ground. 0.0081 with 29,000 transactions uh, every day or last 24 hours. The only thing it's beating is Ethereum Classic. Wow. So it's not even beating Litecoin anymore. It's not beating Bcash anymore. Of course, and again, it's probably because of shitcoin traders, but what, whatever. 
Now, Clark Moody is going to tell us that, wow, there's 63,000 transactions that are going to have to onboard into 85 blocks to uh, get rid of whatever is in everybody's mempool. Okay. So now that means, well, what we have here is a 5.27% capture of gold market cap. We have a situation where I can go buy 18.3 ounces of a shiny rocks if I wanted to part with one of my, one of my Bitcoin and I don't. <clears throat> and we are at $637 billion in market capitalization in total which includes 18,599,125.4 BTC in circulation. All right, so 1,044 BTC are in the Tor network, and that gives us a capacity value of $35.8 million. We have 8,258 nodes on the network, and that is about 36,189 channels. There is 546.6 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that gives us 52.3% Tor capacity in total in the Lightning Network, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this one with Max Husey's piece uh, from Decrypt.co. Bitcoin whales swoop in as markets hit turbulence. <clears throat> uh, this was written sometime apparently this morning. It's been a roller coaster ride for the crypto markets this week. On Monday, we saw prices crash in what turned out to be the biggest daily drop in Bitcoin's history. Yesterday, the broader market swung the other way, recovering nearly $60 billion in global market cap, passing the $1 trillion milestone. Today, we're back where we started on Monday. Global market cap is back now to the 930s, according to data provided by Nomics, and Bitcoin's price is down 5%. It's a similar story elsewhere. A uh, bunch of shit coins listed here also being down. Uh, let's see. Oh, Hex. Uh, I... I Okay, listen, let me pause here for a sec. <clears throat> Talk about Mastodon or uh, Mastodon a little bit. I got my fir first hex shitcoiner replying to one of my Mastodon posts. I won't say what it is because you know what they always say, but I guess it was prompted because they had a 17% dump yesterday off of hex. And if you're into hex, get out. Get out while you still can, bro. Continuing, but while schmucks like the market report clamor to cover these chart, uh, changes for the Bitcoin whales, it's just another day at the office, according to BitInfo Charts, a tracking site for the world's biggest wallet addresses. Of the 10 largest wallets currently being tracked, half have not moved a muscle in recent weeks. The three of those wallets, however, have been moving Bitcoin like there's no tomorrow. The largest wallet, known wallet, in the top 10, which is Bitfinex's cold wallet storage, added 3,000 BTC in the last week, whereas world's third largest wallet moved 4,602 BTC this week and just shy of 20,000 BTC over the course of the month. Another anonymous wallet followed suit. For reference, that's more than $8 billion worth of Bitcoin moving in those three wallets alone. Looking lower down the big wallet chart in the top 50, only seven wallets took Bitcoin out of these wallets in the last week. What does it mean? It means those mega hodlers appear to have taken a longer term view of Bitcoin's price fluctuations and see the current turbulence as little more than that. Maybe the rest of us should take note out of their playbook. The three major indices on Wall Street closed yesterday with a mixture of optimism and gloom on the former. 
the S&P 500 and Dow all went higher with the S&P now just 0.6% away from its recent all-time closing. If you're a tech stockholder, however, things aren't quite as rosy. Gee, I wonder why. The Nasdaq sank as tech stocks came under renewed pressure from regulators. There's been a move back into energy stocks, the laggers throughout 2020, thanks to crude oil prices passing the $50 barrel mark for the first time in, God, 10 months. Holy shit. While glancing at what's happening in U.S. politics, you'd have thought that things would be more choppy, but investors appear to have largely looked through the recent political turmoil in Washington to what is widely expected to be another big year for markets as the Democrats unveil their significantly larger stimulus package than the Republicans and the world slowly recovers from the ravages of the flu. They spelt flu wrong. They they spell it C-O-V-I-D, but we all know, dude, flu, bro, flu. Hester Pierce says the SEC can now take a fresh look at crypto under Biden. Oh, creepy Joe is going to be able to take a fresh look at something he has no hope of understanding. Will Gottenskin is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. In a virtual panel on Tuesday, Hester Pierce, the blockchain-minded SEC commissioner sometimes referred to as Crypto Mom, shared some insights into her approach to regulating cryptocurrencies. Quote, we still don't know what crypto is going to become, she said, stressing the need for regulation that both encourages growth in nascent tech and keeps criminals at bay. It's for the children or to, for the criminal. I don't know. The conversation was organized by Real Clear Policy, a conservative political news site that's taken a decidedly pro-Trump turn in recent years. Fittingly, the other three panelists were staunch conservatives. Rosalind Layton of Forbes, Representative Mike McHenry of North Carolina's 10th Congressional District, and J.W. Verrett, a law professor and former Trump advisor. The subject of the talk was ostensibly the question of crypto regulation in the Biden era, though the conversation was wide-ranging, covering everything from privacy issues to efforts at creating bipartisan coalitions around crypto legislation. And while Leighton, McHenry, and Verrett all agreed they'd like to see the Trump-appointed Pierce in the role of SEC chair, they learned during the call that Reuters had reported Gary Gensler was Biden's pick. Quote, Gary's worldview is well known as it pertains to his previous role in the Obama administration, said McHenry. His views in many respects have been shaped by his post-regulator career, and I think he has a broad understanding of financial technology and financial innovation. And in that regard, I have a sense of optimism that he may bring a thoughtful approach to his new role as a regulator. Uh, I haven't started that. All I can think about is that movie in the, the old West movie with a whole bunch of young, oh, young guns. They, they called themselves the regulators. And it's starting to look a lot like that, man. <clears throat> uh, the question of how Biden's administration will approach crypto regulation has been weighing heavily on the minds of both smaller traders and corporations. Quote, we have seen during 2020 quite a bit of institutional interest and retail interest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, said Pierce, uh, suggesting that the SEC take a fresh look at regulation in the Biden era. Maybe he should take a fresh sniff of hair at regulation in the Biden. Uh, Pierce declined to comment on Biden's picking Gensler for SEC chair, though she discussed cryptocurrency with him at the MIT Bitcoin Expo 2019, where she jokingly called him crypto great-grandfather. Instead, she spoke about how the freedom to engage in financial transactions without being surveilled will be an important part of her own approach to legislation going forward, 
perhaps referencing recent proposed rules from FinCEN that mandate reporting requirements for crypto wallet transactions. Good luck. The commitment to protecting privacy is nothing new from Pierce. She's spoken to Decrypt in the past about the needs for increased financial privacy and insisted that the SEC needs to step up those kinds of protections, but change is hard. Quote, regulatory agencies tend to be quite conservative when it comes to change, she admitted. And while the relatively progressive Gensler may choose a somewhat different tack, Pierce's tone has remained consistent. All right. So now this Gensler guy that they're talking about who's been tapped uh, for the SEC chair, I highly recommend not going and finding a picture of this gentleman, although at one point or another you will see him. He will look like a rat with little sharp pointy teeth and a sullen skull exposure. And it's just, I fail to understand why there's no like really hot people in government. It's like, it's like really pretty people have better shit to do with their time or something like that. And they don't want to be in government. It is very, I mean, JFK was a good looking guy, but he was one of the only good looking guys. Take a look at fucking Nixon, man. Start taking a look at these people and think about what their high school pictures would have been, right? Did they get to the, did they go to the prom? Were, were they at all popular or were they pinned up against the lockers in PE and, and, you know, basically bullied to death. And that's why that they end up being sociopaths and want to control everything. I, I, I just, I don't know, man, but whatever. <clears throat> Crypto leaders worry over threat from big tech censorship, it, and you should. Cyrus McNally is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Social media users are leaving traditional providers in droves in favor of more independent platforms over fears of unwarranted data collection, censorship, and refusal of service. And this is the WhatsApp thing coming back to, to that we're going to talk about here. A recent change in WhatsApp's terms of service has triggered a mass exodus from the messaging platform to more private and independent rivals like Telegram and Signal, which have registered millions of new users over the last week. Rather than agreeing to new terms specifying the app's right to share user data with Facebook, God, millions of WhatsApp users simply gave up using the platform, abandoning it for less intrusive competitors. Telegram alone has been downloaded 25 million times in the last 72 hours. And I thought there was an exodus of people coming to Mastodon. I mean, honestly, in the last 72 hours, Mastodon has seen probably like a couple of thousand people sign up. They're getting basically one to 200 people an hour, right? On average, but holy shit, 25 million in the last 72 hours. That's, that's stupendous. Some of those new signups include refugees from the free speech platform Parler looking for a way to connect and organize after the right-wing Twitter alternative was suddenly yanked offline by hosting services provider Amazon Web Services. The ability of web hosting giants like AWS to unilaterally close down sites and infrastructure has some in the cryptocurrency industry worried about the future health of blockchain-related projects. Enter Ethereum. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin described Parler's takedown as very worrying, and it should because all your shit depends on AWS, in a series of tweets noting that AWS was much more of a common infrastructure provider than a social media site. Buterin also expressed a level of dismay over Twitter's decision to permanently ban President Donald Trump from its platform. Quote, the fact that so many people 
who would normally never support such corporate power are now cheering tech CEOs running rushod over democratically elected officials deserves some introspection. Yeah, as does your frickin' Infura situation, pal. In the past, estimates have suggested that around 60% of Ethereum nodes run on AWS. There you go. EOS and BitShares co-founder Daniel Larimer recently called for the mass abandonment of big social media platforms prior to the takedown of Parler. He correctly predicted that it may have been the last chance to download certain social media apps. Larimer recently quit his position as CTO of EOSIO, developer block one, vowing to work on censorship-resistant platforms, which he believes will become a great place to scam people. Oh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. He believes will increasingly become important as more people find themselves banned or suspended from traditional platforms. Other crypto projects are wary of the centralized nature of tech giants like Amazon and participate uh, anticipate problems relying upon them. The decentralized liquidity network ThorChain, for example, incentivizes nodes running its software to avoid AWS by awarding them extra perks for using alternative service providers. Decentralized solution providers like domain name server Handshake are censorship resistant in that they avoid reliance on classical processes for domain name resolution. Pirate academic journal archivist Sci-Hub switched DNS providers using Handshake, as mentioned by Buterin. Censorship concerns aren't the only reason why reliance on a single hosting service provider poses risk to crypto-based services. In November, AWS outages affected Coinbase, causing users to have problems logging in and navigating their accounts. So, the centralization, it's becoming clear of the centralization of more than just social media. I mean, that was obvious to most of us, but it is literally not obvious to a bunch of normies. They don't know how the shit works. And to their credit, neither would we if we weren't into Bitcoin. This entire path that we're on has educated us in almost freaking everything from economics to the history of money to how the internet infrastructure around the world works. And now people are starting to look at how radio works. Okay, we're, we're going forward in the future and we're learning about shit in the past. And this has all been caused by this explosion of people interested in getting out. The, we keep, like, there are a lot of people that says, I want to get out of my country, but there's nowhere to go because they're all like this. You don't have to get out of your country. I believe this. I actually do. I may be naive and I may be flat wrong and that's okay. I don't mind being wrong. When people tell me that I screwed something up, I don't get mad. I really don't. Especially, well, if they prove it, they're like, look, you're wrong and here's why. And, and then I look at that and go, oh, shit, I'm wrong. It doesn't bug me. All right. But these people are correct. There's no other country to go to. They're all like this. It doesn't matter where you, you can go to freaking Switzerland or Sweden or whatever. They're all like this because they hire the ugliest people that got bullied in high school that have been turned into sociopaths and for some reason think that that's the guy to run your shit. It's the same thing with tech CEOs. Have you ever actually looked at Jeff Bezos? I mean, honestly, it looks like a guy that was probably beat up in class all damn day. He's now the richest man in the world. Why? Because he doesn't give a shit who he screws over because he got probably because he got bullied. I'm just saying, man, there, there seems to be a pattern of the type of people that end up in these positions of power, whether privately or publicly. Okay. Just saying. So when you see some ugly asshole telling, pointing at you, telling you what you got to do, you might want to think, 
do I have to listen? Under what circumstances if I don't, that I don't listen will cause X, Y, and Z to occur to me? It doesn't mean go do it. It means you can think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you're like, well, how would you know? How would you enforce that? How would you find me? I, I mean, this whole thing with, I mean, if, if I'm going to pull money out of an exchange under new FinCEN rules, if they get passed, <clears throat> I would have to dox a wallet. I can spin up a million wallets. I can take that wallet that I doxed and coin join it, right? I mean, or, or, you know, somehow or another mix it or whatever. And then the, you know, the thing will come back, people will come back to me and say, yeah, but then they'll know that you did that. Okay. What else can be done is, I mean, at the moment we have a fleet of technologies and we can look at that and say, X won't work because we don't have this. Well then go build that. I can't, but somebody listening may be able to figure out a way. Like I said, as all these people turn their attention towards Bitcoin, as it looks today, they will regulate what they see. They can't regulate what they can't see. And what I mean by that is shit we haven't come up with yet. Think about the stuff we haven't come up with yet. And what could we come up with yet that completely diffuses shit they worked so hard the year before to get past a 5,000 page bill of like really, really like they spent a lot of time thinking it out and all of a sudden they get it passed and the next day, boom, somebody drops something that completely pulls the fuse out of that stick of dynamite. This can occur and I guarantee you it will occur. OCC's Brian Brooks thinks that DeFi can root out bias and fraud in traditional banking. Clearly, he did not go and get sushi. Colin Post is going to tell us about this one from Cointelegraph. In an opinion piece published by the Financial Times on Tuesday, acting comptroller of the currency Brian Brooks put forward the need to reconfigure banking regulations for an age of algorithms. Brooks, who currently leads the Treasury's Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, compared existing banking regulations to traffic laws. It's pretty good. He further used the analogy of self-driving cars for new steps into decentralized finance. Just as the original rules of the road protected us from other drivers, so our current bank regulations exist mainly to prevent human failings. The overall tone of Brooks' letter is confident that the banking regulators are capable of retooling, of learning how to appraise algorithms for bias and fraud, which he says will ultimately prove simpler than trying to root these same issues out of human bankers. Brooks, Brooks concludes, quote, could we usher in a future where we eliminate error, stop discrimination, and achieve universal access for all? Optimists like me think so. How different would banking in the U.S. be today if regulators, bankers, and policymakers were as bold as car makers 10 years ago? Yeah, well, I'm going to pause because car makers 10 years ago probably weren't all that uh, concerned with controlling your life down to what you eat. I'm not lying, man. When this guy says shit like, uh, could we, you know, eliminate errors, stop discrimination and achieve universal access? What I think he really means, you know, I'm being real critical about a guy that I have a tendency to like what he said in the past, but I'm a realist. And if you can, if you can eliminate error, stop discrimination and achieve universal access by evaluating algorithms then you can write algorithms that do the exact opposite and have them regulated. 
And I believe that that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a battle of algorithms. There will be ethical algorithms, and then there will be evil, immoral algorithms. This is just the way life is. And if these people don't, I think these people understand that. But I honestly believe that there will be algorithms that will be regulated and it will be okay to do something that the rest of us go, shit, dude, that's, you might as well be tra- trading on sushi swap. Honestly, really, I, 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 I don't mean to really be all that, oh God, like, like a bummer, but I'm, like I said, I'm a realist. The OCC charters and directs national banks, formerly the leader of Coinbase's legal team, Brooks has been a major proponent of integrating crypto technology into the national payment system. Under his watch, the OCC recently authorized national banks to run stablecoin payments and nodes. Brooks has similarly been a proponent of a national charter for non-depository institutions, specifically aimed at giving fintech firms a chance at national licensing rather than having to go through each state in the United States. Near the end of December, however, state regulators struck back. It's the empire striking back with a lawsuit deriding what they call the OCC's non-bank charter as an overreach of federal power. In today's opinion piece, Brooks may have been referring to these issues with state regulators when he wrote that quote. There is also a risk that in the absence of federal regulatory clarity, U.S. states rush to fill the void and create a patchwork of inconsistent rules that impede the orderly development of a national market in quote bullshit. That's exactly what the states were designed to do. Not just in, in like financial shit and like it should have been everything. Should, like it was supposed to be like each state, like if it's not mentioned in the Constitution or it is not mentioned in the Bill of Rights, then under the Tenth Amendment, the states get to call the fucking shots. So <clears throat> there was a lot of stuff that could be regulated by the states alone, and they would be inconsistent. And those inconsistencies would be signals to the broader market as to which one of the states is going to win. I guarantee you those inconsistencies would iron themselves out. Like, it's inconsistent of me to pour, like, let's say that I can just take a dump truck and back up to a riverbed, and I, like, fill that dump truck up with a shit ton of water, right? And then I dump the whole, however many, you know, 5,000, I don't know, probably 500,000 gallons of water all at once into the river. Okay, it's coming in at a completely different angle. It's coming in a completely different direction. It's coming in at a completely different velocity than the river. Everything is inconsistent. How long will it take you to not be able to figure out the diff- where the water got dumped? Because it's all going to become consistent because of market forces because of market signaling, because of how we pick up those signals, how what we do with those signals, and where we decide to spend our dollars. If two states are too incongruous with each other that they can't even do business with each other, the market will decide which state wins, and the other state will say, you know what, we lost our ass on that deal. How about this? How about we look more like them? That will happen just like dumping a bunch of water into a river at right angles to the flow of the river. I guarantee you it'll happen every time. Ending, while President Trump nominated Brooks to be the full comptroller back in November, the Senate never moved forward on his nomination. With the new administration taking over next week, Brooks' continued tenure at the OCC seems dependent upon a Biden nomination. Well, of course it depends on a Biden nomination, and he's probably not going to get it. 
Oh, that this is a story about Jinsler. Oh, should I say? Yeah, this is a good one. The Jinsler guy, the guy that's the rat-faced uh, mole rat. Mm, Jinsler is said to be named SEC chairman, says Reuters, and he is a former CFTC chairman, and he has testified before Congress about cryptocurrency and blockchain on multiple occasions. So this is CoinDesk's Kevin Reynolds. Gary Gensler, a Washington and Wall Street veteran, uh, who would have guessed, who has closely studied the cryptocurrency field, is expected to be named chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission in the next several days by President-elect Joe Biden. Two sources familiar with the matter told Reuters on Wednesday. <clears throat> Point one, a former chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Gensler served as a key financial regulator for former President Barack Obama, spearheading new derivative rules after the 2008 financial crisis. He also served in the Treasury Department during the Clinton administration. Second point, more recently, he has also testified before Congress about cryptocurrency and blockchain on multiple occasions, pushing back against comparisons between cryptocurrencies and Ponzi schemes and declaring that the still unlaunched Libra token met the requirements of being a security under U.S. law. <clears throat> so far, so good, Mulrap. At MIT Sloan School, Gensler taught a course on cryptocurrencies and blockchain, calling the technology, quote, a catalyst for change in the world of finance and the broader economy. Okay, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to give the man the benefit of the doubt. And Bitcoin is in a bubble to finish off the day. The Bond King Jeffrey Gundlach is saying this. This is uh, Jordan Lenanchov from CryptoPotato.com writing sometime yesterday. Jeffrey Gundlach, the CEO of Double Line Capital and so-called Bond King. Okay, honestly, Dude, right there, you should be going, I don't want to listen to this guy. Warned that the primary cryptocurrency could be in a massive bubble. Uh, the his He based his view on BTC's recent performance that included a parabolic increase in the large and a large crash just yesterday. It's safe to say that Bitcoin initiated a significant bull run early October when it dabbled in the $10,000 price tag area. In the following months, BTC more than quadrupled its value to an all-time high of 42000 marked last week. However, the asset was not exempt from adverse developments either, and yesterday crashed nearly $12,000 in less than 24 hours. Such a parabolic price were increased, followed by a massive correction, has raised concerns among traditional investors, including Double Line Capital CEO Jeffrey Gundlach. He warned that similar developments could indicate that the asset has become a bubble, and people need to be wary before allocating any funds into it. Well, that is always the case, dude. The Bond King is not only one who recently asserted that BTC is in a bubble. Crypto Potato reported similar narratives breached by a former Merrill Lynch economist, David Rosenberg. He compared the 2020 or the 2020, oh God, hold on, 2020 slash 2021 run with the developments during the 2017-2018 rally and warned that Bitcoin could enter a bear market as it happened three years ago. On the contrary, the U.S. fund manager and philanthropist Bill Miller, who predicted the, mention, <clears throat> the mentioned above bull run as early as October, said the cryptocurrency gets less risky as the higher its price goes. Quote, Bitcoin is a supply and demand story. There are 900 new Bitcoin created every single day. Bitcoin's total supply is growing less than 2% a year, and it's obvious by the price that, that, that the demand is growing much, much faster than that, end quote. Consequently, he concluded that as long as his narrative persists, BTC is likely to go higher, perhaps considerably higher, end quote. Just recently, Miller also predicted that corporate funds could start a torrent towards the cryptocurrency and said that BTC 
is a rat poison for cash. So <clears throat> there you go. Bond King, though, stay away. He actually looks like one of those lawyers that are on a, a, a billboard that's like the tough gorilla lawyer, you know, accident in uh you know accident lawyers kind of thing he looks exactly like that i'm looking at that little weasel right now but still he's got he's got some points except for the whole bubble thing um i doubt very seriously given given the price action of the past and you're not supposed to do this by saying oh it will happen because of the past but it's really hard to look at where we are in the having cycle and say that the 42,000 was the blow off top i don't believe that now I'm not saying go and and mortgage your damn home for it, but I I've been here I I think I've been here long enough to look at that and go oh that's just one of many one of many many blow off tops that you'll see until we get to the same point before the next having that we were in 2017. Okay, so take a look at that chart. Also take a look to the stock to flow chart from 100 million uh, was it 100 million USD. You know, the guy that does the, you know, the stock to flow shit. Anyway, go look at that and, and we'll end the morning roundup here. Daily train wrecked brought to you by, by Julian Rimmer. Oh, okay. He's some CEO of some something to do with something, something financial assets, something, something, whose quote says this, Bitcoin is the perfect vehicle for exploiting mankind's infinite stupidity. A small percentage of one's portfolio must be held in this asset because gullibility never goes out of fashion. That's why people keep telling me that the United States dollar is backed by gold. Just saying. All right, let's get happy. Why are pediatricians easily upset? Because they have little patience. Ah, I can always depend on dad says jokes to make me smile when times are down. But you know what? Times are not exactly down. Uh, things are actually looking really interesting. Uh, the, the mass move of uh, central of people from centralized social networks to decent more, more but not completely decentralized. Uh, you know, the least at least what we're seeing is the the fact that at one point or another you can push somebody too far, and it looks like the banning of Orange Man pushed people too far. And it doesn't even matter if you hate the Orange Man. I know a lot of people that like you know a couple of news stories that we read today. They're cheering this, and I'm like. Well, I can see that. I know some people that are cheering it too. They will learn the hard way that at one point or another, they will be the people that are not liked. That pendulum always swings. And if you want to protect both sides, and you better. I mean, there's a lot of people, I disagree completely with what they have to say, but I respect their right to be able to say it. And I respect their right to be able to say it anywhere the fuck they want. Okay. But I hate what they say, but I respect what I respect that they can say it. I can't, I cannot scream at the top of my lungs for some, for one person that I don't like to be deplatformed and be able to, in that same moment, hold in my mind the expectation that at one point or another, I won't be the hated one 10 years from now, 
You never know how these things are going to swing. You never know what direction, except it's usually to the other way. And you also never know to what extremes that pendulum will swing. I'm sorry, but if you want to protect your own free speech, you better be out for blood on people that want to take away the free speech of people you absolutely cannot fucking stand. If you don't do it, then at one point or another, you will be on the other end of that uh, receiving area and you will not like it. With all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.